<clears throat> Hello. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Hello. Sorry. Okay. Hello and welcome to Pros and Comms. I'm your host, Dylan Gray. With me, as always, is the sensational. Oh, wait. No, she's not here. Damn it. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pros and Comms. My name is Dylan Gray. Hosting with me is the awesome Watson. Say hello, Watson. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's me, Watson. And uh, we have a special guest this time. It's a good friend of mine that I know through the comic book community. And it is Dominic, a.k.a. Cominic Torres. What's up, everyone? So, Science. Science, science, science. Because of the pandemic that's going on, science is on everybody's mind, or some most people's minds. <laughs> and I thought, what better way to what better think topic to talk about this month than a uh, go over some uh, science fiction? So we picked uh, two books that are uh, science fiction based. The first one, our prose novel this month, is Soviet Union science fiction it was a collection uh put together in the 60s 1962 to be exact by isaac asimov and it has a collection of different soviet union science fiction stories now watson what do you think of it well i thought it was interesting especially with the introduction given like a little background about science fiction because I didn't really know too much about like a history of it. So I thought it was really cool to know because I didn't know that uh, Edgar Allan Poe did like super early works of science fiction that were pretty good. And I thought that was crazy. Well, yeah, I think also during the time uh, science fiction was really loose based. You know, I think in the, the Edgar Allan Poe one, he, he takes uh, a hot air balloon to the moon. <laughs> There's not really a lot of science to back that up. <laughs> oh yeah, I just think that's cool. Like super early, like because I was in the what, like twenties, late twenties, early thirties, or something like that. Well, when the the official, yeah, well, when the the American, they talk about the different stages of uh <clears throat> of science fiction, and America was like really the big the big one that really stuck out as far as science fiction in the literary community. I mean, yeah, there was uh, Jules Verne in France, but America was the big one for that. And in the early 20 or the late twenties, I believe it was like 1925, 26. That's when they started getting all these kind of like cool adventure sci-fi stories where they'd go to different pl planets and like just outer space and like, that's uh that's what the main thing that's what everyone was reading but um the guys that were doing that at that time weren't really they weren't really acknowledged in science at all you know and it wasn't like until 1938 when uh they started actually putting real science into science fiction um there was a magazine i think it was called astounding or astonishing stories and the editor in 1938 he uh his name was John W. Campbell, and he was a physicist, and he wanted to bring actual science into science fiction because 
he's a physicist. He's like, this, this shit's ridiculous. You can't take a hot air balloon to space, you know? And he actually started getting writers that actually were, you know, uh, college graduates and all this stuff. So the whole second phase of science fiction, as we know it today, was all about, you know, so, like science and technology and like getting to see how stuff actually could work. And then in the 50s, that's when stuff got really interesting because that's when they started talking about uh, sociological stuff, you know, like far off, like different uh, places and like different, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, different civilizations and like the far future and all that kind of stuff. And that was stage three. And the Soviets, they even get to stage three. <laughs> and Isaac talks about in the book how he kind of feels like they didn't want they might have wrote written about other civilizations and stuff, but it never got published because, you know, the Russians didn't want people talking about something that wasn't Mother Russia, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was pretty crazy because uh well, all that stuff. Yeah. Well I I didn't really think of science fiction as like an american kind of genre ever really (laughs) yeah i didn't think about that either because like i always thought it was just well i mean i I always thought that if russia was going to write it they would use them and like of course they would use them but i didn't think like in europe they would be just writing about american doing stuff and it doesn't seem right if it was wasn't american i always thought that was crazy yeah, that was a really interesting point. What about you, uh, Kamenik? What uh, so, when you think yeah. science fiction? What kind of what do you think about? It's it's crazy to me because upon reading the introduction here, the 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 science fiction, the differences between the USSR, US, the USA, and how that all blends together, it's crazy to think about how this world has attuned to so much of the science fiction genre. I can think of comic books, for example, you have Marvel and DC, you have, you have the X-Men franchise, you have Batman, you have all of these different fantastical elements. And the fact that, you know, we're on stage three where we're talking about, you know, how do, how is a society and can we push forward the future? Can we push forward this weird technology, this weird science science genre and you you just think of just any few like regular or current current franchise star wars and all of these different elements that you see nowadays like you want you go to a movie it's probably a marvel movie and that in turn is based on everything that science fiction was built up during the 1900s and it's it's just amazing to see how you can you can see sort of all the elements back in the past when they they were still developing the genre and how much it's flourished now because of all the number of people who are invested into the media and the lore. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere upon us and in all media and it's fascinating to see. Yeah. And I think stage four, which is, I'm guessing where we're at now, we might be even five or six, but I feel like right now, we're kind of in a place where all three of the stages is kind of where we're at. We're seeing these crazy, you know, adventure stories to other planets with technology that's kind of realistic and seeing how different civilizations interact. You know, that's like Clone Wars. Like that is all about like how 
different all these different civilizations are like kind of fighting against each other but it's like it's always different you know what i mean oh absolutely it's it's just very crazy because you you just bring up you know star wars for example you know say you know you you're you're having all these different planets you're going to kashik you're going to hoth you're going to all these oh we're having an adventure but we're still we're still keeping in tone with uh, that genre and you have all the technology the starships the guns the 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 jetpacks the ships man it's it's everywhere and and the impact on it with the political view of all of these different star systems these factions the the republic and the empire later and seeing that all this all these three stages just sort of meld and merge together with uh, with all of the different scientific features. It's just it's just fascinating and it's wonderful to see how you know one franchise can take all of these three stages, place them together, and create something that keeps your eyes open and makes you entertained. And it's it's good to see that. Yeah, and you know just because the Soviets never got to stage three to talk about other civilizations and stuff. I still think their science fiction was pretty good because, you know, in America, there's this like whole kind of movement of anti-intellectualism. It's not as bad as it used to be, but like, man, like people like being a nerd is like a bad thing. But like in the Soviets, they were like, no, everyone needs to learn science. Go, go, go. Science, science, science. It's the way to go. And, and I think that's like the big difference when you read like when you're reading like the American stuff and you're reading the Soviet stuff. It's just like this is so grounded. Um, Isaac also talks about how like these stories he picked were like the most uncontroversial. Like there wasn't any like anti-capitalism or pro-Soviet patriotism kind of stuff. It was just some like stories. But he said there's a lot of it used as propaganda and be anti-West and all that kind of stuff. But I still think. Like for me, like when I read the Hottie Toddy story, the one about the elephant, um, that one was just like so cool. The basic synopsis of that is an, an elephant, uh, a human's brain gets put into an elephant's body and uh, he gets le- he gets lost and separated from his people. And because, I mean, you can't just bring an elephant to Russia. So they brought the brain to Africa and he gets separated and like he has to learn how to be an elephant on his own. And I thought there was just so many things in there. Like, you know, they were like studying elephants and like reading all these papers about it. You know what I'm saying? And it was just really cool how like he you learn how elephants kind of talk to each other and how like why like small animals like mice actually scare them more than like a tiger would. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. Well, not a tiger, but maybe a lion. I guess it's Africa. So, well, no, there's elephants in India, right? Yes, there there are elephants in India. That's yeah. that respect. <laughs> there are. <laughs> did did uh, anything uh, stand out to you, Watson? Well, one thing I thought was uh, weird about, I mean, the. One that really stood out to me I liked was the um, visitor from outer space. I think it was number four in the book. And mm. uh, that one was, I, I thought it was inter- interesting because I was expecting a more story of the adventure that they were going on. But it was actually something completely different because it wasn't about the adventure. Because I'm used to only, I'm used to just reading a bunch of adventures and stuff. And this one was just more of a, 
conversation of people, their theories of what's going on. I thought it was really, really weird. Well, yeah, I and uh, I actually did some research after I read that one, because apparently this was through science fiction was a way that the Soviets were able to comment on things, you know, without being controversial for the government. You know what I'm saying? Like um, this, there was actually a meteorite that that hit um, what's it called? The hit Siberia, I think it was back in like the early uh, 1900s. And there was this physicist or this um, this uh, astronomer named Gabriel Tihov, and he had a whole theory about how it was from the aliens and all this kind of stuff. And apparently it was part of the original print of the story, but they omitted it a long time, like before it could ever get out and stuff like that, which I thought was really cool. And then I started actually doing some research on the dude. He's actually the considered the father of astrobotany. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, they talked a little bit about it in, the, in that story. They're talking about yeah. how it's able to be able to check for plant life on planets and stuff. Right. Yeah, that was all. That was all him. He was the one that like basically created the idea of like able to travel to far places and grow plants and stuff in space. You know, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And apparently there's a whole bunch of like astral or not cosmic or whatever. There's stuff in space that's named after him, like a moon crater and an asteroid. And I think there's something on Mars named after him, like a hill or something like that. A Martian crater. Yeah. Martian crater. Okay. <laughs> uh, how about you, Dominic? Anything pop out to you? So one thing, and this was towards the end of the introduction, there was a section where they were talking about how uh, the Soviets um, or American fiction, both of them, um, sort of tend to talk about the how far can we head into the future with the science uh, science fiction genre. There was there was one part where they talk. It was in Professor Burns' Awakening. There's one one small scene that's in the far future. So it's far from us right now. You know, we're in 2020. And the date is given. It's all the way in 18,879 on September 12th, which is the era, era of liberated man. And it, there's nothing in the story that states, oh, this is when this era began, or why is it called this? Instead, you're just given that, that weird date. And somehow it's, it references back to this and that, but you don't know sort of why. And I think it's important to have your science fiction. If you're going to do that, for example, X-Men Deja Future Pass or any sort of future storyline, make it in the way in a way that for the reader or the or the viewer to be able to still place themselves in that reality, but don't go as so far to this this displace us, detach from detach from. Oh, we're we're all the way here. We're all the way there but we, we sort of can't get a view on it because it's just so far away and there's barely any context to why you're in 18,879. Yeah. Yeah, I that was really weird. And that kind of threw me off when I was reading that. Um, I, because uh, yeah, and then later, because I'm, I'm a weirdo, I read introductions after I've read the book. <laughs> 
so when I came back and read that, I was like, oh, okay, that kind of explains it. But I remember reading it like, whoa, what, what's with this huge time jump here? <laughs> um, yeah, was, um, what'd you guys think of the robot story? Anyone? So we're talking, we're talking about the, the, the Matt Watkins comic or where, where are we talking? No, 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 no. I'm no, talking no. about the uh, spontaneous reflex about the the robot in the science fiction book. Oh. I personally thought uh, so. All right, well, let me restart that. So, what did you guys think of? Let's see. Damn it, I just lost it. Okay, hold on. What did you guys think of spontaneous reflex? The one about the robot. I personally thought it was a little anticlimactic. I just Dominic? thought, yeah, it's just, I just thought that, yeah, it was just anticlimactic. It, it could have been just a, just a tad bit better on that point, but man, it, it's like, it goes up to this huge climax and just the, I just I just didn't feel like the the, the drop off was just way too weird. Uh, I, I I personally thought of it it could have uh, it could have done better uh, in terms of that department. Um, yeah, I yeah. I I think robots should be just a lot cooler than just like you know just basically really strong humans, and that's kind of what it was making me feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what kind of when you guys think of robots, what do you think of? Watson? I mean, to me, when I think of robots, I think more of like uh, more of like robotic type of arms. And I, I've seen like a lot of videos of like silly robotics of like these people making like robotic people that like move and then they just push them down with a hockey stick. Oh, um, yeah. So when you, th- <laughs> you say when I hear the word robotics, I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Dom? My my experience with the robots it's it's pretty it's just pretty enticing to see how how many stories that have robotic characters or people that were turned into robots because of some huge freakish accident and the two that I can think of at the top of my head are Cyborg from Teen Titans slash Justice League and Robot Man from the Doom Patrol. You hearken to Graham Morrison and his stint on the Doom Patrol, which was in in the eighties when he started writing for dc comics and the first the first first issue you're bam you're placed into robobot's head you're trying to figure out what the heck what the heck happened to cliff Steele that would that would make me sort of want to feel for him and you get to see throughout the forest you arc and throughout all of grant morrison's run about how this man even though yeah he was this he was before because he was a prolific racer and people loved him but he was sort of that cheap American. He was sort of that cheap American sort of stereotype where, oh, this he's 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 awesome. He, I could do all this, and he gets that taken away from him. And when the chief makes the Doom Patrol, he has Cliff Steele's brain from an explosion because of the explosion destroyed his body, and it, it's he's just left with his brain. And he's putting this his robot his robot body. Sort of as the run goes on, you sort of get to feel a grasp for the guy because he's just learning how to move without the the regular limbs and all of that that we humans have. 
And it's just really, if Graham Morrison's Robot Man is just really this character who you feel for the guy because he's going through a lot and he's trying to learn and he's becoming less of this asshole as he continues on and becomes this this man, even though, again, he doesn't have the man in him, that the flesh inside the, the character that he has, it's it's just really astounding to see how much robots can actually can actually have an influence can actually be that human even though they aren't well that reminds me of like centennial man have you ever seen centennial man i have not mm-hmm. watson have you no i haven't so this was uh i want to say late 90s robin williams where he plays a robot and he slowly um like turns himself into a human he gets like he makes artificial heart he makes all the things and then he's constantly trying to become a human and finally like right at the end they the united states senate officially makes him a human like legally which makes him the oldest human because he's like centennial so he's like you know a couple hundred years old and it's like how how to basically become human and stuff and it's kind of creepy because he like meets this girl like when she's a child and then like she grows up and like he like they get married it's it's some weird stuff there but that it, and also it's kind of weird seeing rob robin williams not being hilarious you know it's kind of more of a serious kind of thing but yeah that it's kind of the same kind of concept That's did he have a beard he did not have a beard no <laughs> that... <laughs> what usually he have? Oh. usually if he has a beard it's a it's more of a deep robin williams role don't do that man don't do them. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah, you're right. Or, and if he's got like a shaved head, he's probably a murderer, like in a one hour photo. <laughs> and he was a bad guy on SVU. He was. That was really scary. Because it's all on SVU, the, the most famous person is always the bad guy. That's always how it is. And so, like, when I saw him on there, I was like, oh no, Robin Williams is the rapist? that's terrible r.i.p by the way robin williams r.i.p 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 much love ah we yeah we we should just have a whole podcast where we talk about robin williams i could totally do that (laughs) yeah i don't think he did but yeah he loved video games and stuff we always talk about like zelda and stuff he named his daughter zelda that's right (laughs) i forgot about that yeah. That's awesome. All right. But, well, we got anyways, I think we yeah. did a whole bunch with uh with Soviets. So let's move on to some American stuff. And we'll talk about our comic book uh this month or episode, whatever you want to call this, which is Think Tank. Think Tank is about quick synopsis about a guy that works for the government making weapons and technology and everything that's actually in the book that invisibility suits, mind reading technology, uh, smart bullets that can go around obstacles and hit targets. It's all real stuff. So I like to think of it, not necessarily science fiction, but fiction with science. What, uh, what did you guys think of it? Number one, I just want to point out that it's, I I think it's sort of biased just to have you promote a top cow book because you're a marketing director for top cow. And out of all the comics that we could have read, it had to be a Top Cow comic. I was just well, like, 
<laughs> it's okay. There maybe there's a little bias there. I agree. But I, I actually, if I didn't work for Top Cow, we probably would still be talking about Think Tank because I think it's one of the, it's it's real science, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it talks about, like, the Soviets, how they put real science. It wasn't, you know, and Matt Hawkins, the writer, he's a physicist. So, like, that's why it, it comes off so sciencey, and and that's what I like about it. And, yeah, okay, there is a little bit of bias there, but not not much, only a little bit, only a little bit. But did you guys enjoy it at all? Man, I thought I, I so when I first read it, it was uh, it was I, I was like at the beginning I was I didn't really like the guy, I didn't really like the main character. So while I was reading it to me, I was like, oh man, I hope I hope the the guys you know get him and stuff because he's you know, trying to get off or whatever, trying to escape from you know the because the whole plot. I don't want to try to spoil it, you know. Um, but right. it was really good because by the end of it, they it left with a little cliffhanger because I wasn't expecting. It. I didn't know it was going to be a like a continuation. I thought it was just going to be like a one of type of thing. And when it ended, I was like, man, it, it kind of got me. I kind of want to read the second one. <laughs> yeah, I should mention we only read the first four issues in the first trade paperback. There's actually five volumes of Think Tank. Um, the first three are in black and white, and then the last two, four and five are in full color. The, uh, the transition from color from black and whites to color was because Matt Hawkins was getting just people just don't like black and white comics for whatever reason. And so he, he was getting like kind of low reviews literally because they're like, oh, it's in black and white. It's written well, the art's great, but it's in black and white. And so he got tired of that. So he's like, all right, I'm just going to color it. And then all of a sudden he starts coloring his issues and he's getting like nines and tens across the board on his ratings. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I think when, I think one thing that I do actually appreciate about this comic book is the fact that it actually is in black and white versus if it had been in color. I really, I really, really do adore uh Ekadal's grayscale here the, the way that you can see the different tones of all the soldiers all the military people and then you have uh you have you know all of the, everyone else and it's it's just it's just really set in this noir grounded setting and i really appreciated that about it and you got to see all of the dy- dynamic dynamism between all the different people here and whoever's talking and all the action scenes it's really fluid and i i really 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 do love the the grayscale tone that it has so if it was in color i'd probably appreciate it less i think the whatever the book has as far as art goes it's it's solid it's great it's you know you don't need the color i think for this this type of storyline you know would it be would it be a little bit more pleasing the eye yeah sure but in terms of this type of story and this type of setting, I think the way that it's portrayed in grayscale, I think it's perfect for the book. And I don't think you need to touch it at all. What would you think about the, the grayscale kind of black and white Watson? Well, I also read a lot of manga and most of manga is usually in, in black and white. So I'm used to always reading it, reading type of like comics in black and white. So to me, I, it was more natural to me. But the thing I always thought was weird is because it kind of looked like it was already colored beforehand is what I thought was weird. Cause it looked like there's some of the, some of the like big frames that they had or some of the big panels had a lot of like 
looked like watercolors, like they watercolored it. So I thought it was like, oh, did they print it black and white and it was originally colored? So I thought it was, I don't know, because I was also interested to see how it was in colored if it looked like it was watercolored, because I feel like the whole point of watercolors is to show off the colors of part of it too, you know? Right. Uh, Rasan, he likes to use, uh, I believe, a gray wash, because these are all, he, he did this all practical. There, This isn't a digital comic at all. When he goes into color, I believe he colors it digitally, but yeah, he was using a gray wash, and that's what kind of gives it that watercolor kind of feel when it's just black and white. It's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. I, but I love his just... art though. He he's his black and white, you're right. It has like this real noir feel. There's a a the book that he did before this was called Echoes. And that was a really creepy kind of murder mystery on like a crazy psychological scale. And dude, his art was like it fits so perfectly with that kind of scariness. Like it was it's it's he's pretty great. I, I really like his work. Yeah, again, you can what? see sort of the dynamism between all of the panels and the facial expressions here are on point too. I I've, I need to pick up more of his artwork because it it just, it looks stunning. It it's great. So yeah, he's he's working on him and uh, Matt are actually working on a project right now called the Rook, but uh, that's all you guys get to know about it. <laughs> but what, they're a really cool team. They actually uh, after they finished Think Tank, they did a, a series called The Tithe, which was about these group of hackers that would go after mega churches that are guilty of fraud, and then they would take the money that the churches have been embezzling and give it to charity. That one was in color, though. But it was, I, th I thought, it's still, I have to agree with you guys, though. I definitely really like his black and whites, like, a lot. They're I, they're really good. Like, I wish, I wish uh, he would, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to cut that out. Let's not do that. Let's not say I wish he would do something different. Uh, <laughs> um, so what exactly, <clears throat> so Watson, what exactly didn't you like about David Lauren? Like, was he too cocky? Was he just, like, too much of an asshole? Yeah, uh, that's what I was thinking is that it was like uh, he was, yeah, he was too too cocky and too much of an asshole. Like, I was like, this this guy's he thinks he's tough shit. And then um, but the, he eventually, like, proves that he is tough shit because he's <laughs> he's drinking like this whole this big ass military base <laughs> and um but to me i always thought it was fun because I, I was reading it as if like yeah i want the bad guys to win because like you know i don't i don't necessarily like the guy but it still makes me enjoy the adventure that he's having though because like i still enjoy that i'm like trying to watch this guy get caught and it's like oh man is he gonna get caught this time uh, no he's not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in the following volumes, he gets really like, oh, he tries to do some, he, he once again, he like, he thinks he's the dope. He's like super bad. So he like comes up with this plan that like, is so terrible that no one would do it. That's what he's thinking. And then like, they end up doing it. He's like, oh, shit, they actually listened to me. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what about you? What'd you, how'd you feel about David Lauren, Dominic, Dominic? I, so my, my thing with uh, David Lauren is that I'm actually sort of more eccentricated to the Guy Gardner, Tony Stark sort of those types of smuggish, uh, smuggish sort of heroes. And I actually I can see a lot of parallels between Tony Stark 
and Lauren, which is probably why I liked him throughout the book, even though, yeah, sure, he's this sort of cocky, overdoing sort of sort of person, sort of this overbearing character. But man, he is—he's a fun treat to fun fun guy to read. And as I as I went through along, and he he cemented his weird adventure with the whole entire fiasco with the military later on in the book. I thought I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought I liked him. It's it's de- he's definitely a lot more interesting than these sort of like some some characters nowadays who may be like one layer. There's a lot of facets. There's a lot of facets to to David. I th- I think that uh, Watkins just plays along with him beautifully as he gets into situation after situation. Um, so it was that's that's why it was the big part of the to why this book was such an enjoyable read was because of was because of him because of the protagonist. It was just fun. Yeah. And I love like the I, when he comes up with like technology. You know, it's like kind of like almost like a MacGyver kind of feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it's like high tech shit. It's not like, oh, give me a rubber band and this avocado pit and I'm going to make a nuclear bomb. You know, like, no, it's like he's put he's got, you know, a real budget behind him and he makes stuff like invisibility suits and like mind reading technology, which scares the hell out of me. And this was back in 20, I believe 2012, 2011 was when the first issue was released. So think about that, that technology. So he's right. When Matt's hearing about this, technology it's probably already five years after it's been out so think about where the technology was five years after 2012 so now we're like 10 years later i actually think and people say i'm crazy for this but after you guys read the think tank so you tell me what you think i think they do have that mind reading technology in our phones and these apps like instagram and facebook that have these algorithms that just happen to pop up when we think about stuff I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? They can't be that good. <laughs> Maybe they <laughs> have mind reading tech in our phones. That's all I'm saying. There's definitely sort of that weird conspiracy going around because a lot of the apps that we have nowadays have location trackers. Because, like, for example, Snapchat, you go around, it knows exactly where you are, then it pings back to the service provider and all the satellites. We're getting there if we haven't yet, as far as, oh, we our phones can think about us. Are we? They can look back at us and read. Oh, I, he knows this person, or he's thinking about this person, or he's thinking about this thought. And oh my goodness, this guy's bad or whatever. And we're getting. I think we're getting definitely to that point. I wouldn't go as far as conspiracy theory. Oh snap! They already have it. They just don't. Just don't tell us. Uh, but the, the we're getting close to the day that uh, we're we're going to have that sort of type of technology because of all of the different mechanisms that are currently on our applications, our phones, our computer, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. Well, and, what I know for like perfect, like good and in, in artificial intelligence and stuff like that, you need to have the, like as much information as possible. And I know that companies definitely sell like people's data and stuff like that all the time. There's companies that make tons of money off of that. Yeah. So that's what I think is all of that, but it's still still crazy to think that they possibly could have something where they could actually read minds. Oh, yeah. No. I feel like Well, he he really explains crazy. in the, um it might not have been in the the file I sent you guys, but the actual physical trade paperback 
um, has this thing in the back called science class. And he'll like talk more about all the different technologies and, and politics and things like that, that went on in the book. And like the whole thing about like the mind reading technology, it's like, it's real. It's basically just being able to read synapses mm-hmm. like firing off in your brain. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, ugh, it's, it's crazy to me, you know, just br- p- putting yeah. a human down to just basic zeros and ones is just completely scary to me. <laughs> That's the one thing I think I, I appreciate about this book, too, is that Watkins knows what he's Hawkins. talking about. Hawkins, yeah. And and he like Watkins knows what he's talking about. Like they're like the whole back section where he talks about, oh, the science class stuff with this guy and this person. Like he talks about Albert Einstein and these random think tanks. And he delves into and I appreciate this because I was in AP physics myself. I've been in college courses myself because of all the I've, I've taken these these courses in i could i could 100 assure you like he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about the sort of this different types of technology and how this matters to that and how it's portrayed in the book and he just plays with it wonderfully with all of the applications and programs that 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 he's making and laura's making in there when he's here and there and that's why again that's why another part to why i appreciate about the book is that he uses those real world applications, puts them in the comic and creates a fascinating story to tell out of it. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to, we're going to switch gears because I think we we've said a lot about think tank and we, we all seem to like it. So Watson, what is some really cool sci-fi you've read over the years? Is there one that like really sticks out to you? Hmm. Because uh, with sci-fi, I usually like to watch sci-fi types of shows and stuff like that most of the time. Okay, I well read, then, some, I haven't read yeah, a just, lot of sci-fi. Then just sci-fi, yeah. Okay, well then, what's some sci- science fiction you like? Then let's try that. Well, one of my favorites of all time is just uh, Battlestar Galactica. I, I, that's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think maybe my favorite show of all time. I need to rewatch that show again. It's so bad. Yeah. I and everyone I know loves that show like a lot. And I, I always say like I know I'm gonna love it because everyone I I have high opinions of likes it, so I'm I'm gonna love it. But that first episode seeing like the hundred or an hour and forty five minutes for a first episode is kind of like always is like, ah, it's such a schlep, you know. I don't it's, it's so much work there. The other thing too is it's the first three episodes are that long. First three? Oh my god. It started as a web series. Um, uh, started as a web series, so they just put out three episodes at first, and then Sci-Fi picked it up. And then, yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Because it's a reboot, correct? Yeah, but I don't know how much the difference is. I never watched the original. I only watched the reboot one, but I loved it. I thought it was really good. Don't want to spoil was that... too much stuff, but it's. It's really good. Yeah, no, I and I've I've always wanted to do it. I mean, um, I think Port Portlandia that was the show did a whole bit about how these this couple like they're like okay let's yeah let's just try one of these episodes and they end up they engulf their entire lives into watching the show and then when it's over they're like it's over that's it so they contact um, the a couple people that worked on the show and like 
try to get them to come and like do a reshoot and like it's it's so silly <laughs> but yeah I've, I've um i've heard a lot of good things but yeah I've, i haven't heard anyone i don't know anyone that's seen the original Battlestar though uh i do know that the stormtroopers were slightly based off of uh the cylons that from that series that's what i heard yeah they definitely look like if you've ever seen what um the original Cylons, they they definitely look uh, like super stormtrooper-like, but of course more robotic, but definitely look a lot like a stormtrooper. Yeah. I'd say more closer to a clone trooper with the shape of the head, I guess, unless it was really round. I don't remember, I've seen it in a while. <laughs> but it All was right, really Dom. good. Oh, sorry. Say that again? I said, oh, it was definitely really good. I definitely recommend Battlestar Galactica if you guys ever want to watch it for watching stuff. Yeah, I know there's a ton of comic books, and I know a lot of people, like, subscribe to them when they come out. But there are a lot of short series, but I should probably just try to hunt some of that down or just sit down and watch the show. But, uh, yeah. What about you, uh, What about you, Dominic? Comic? <laughs> Sorry. What about you, Comic? What, uh... What kinds of sci-fi are you into? So, and I can actually attest to that front that I've done or I've watched a whole bit like Star Wars, for example. But I actually want to pinpoint one comic book writer that's caught my attention in the past year or so. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, if you got, if you guys haven't heard him, uh, he's written the Fantastic Four, which is 100% sci-fi. Hey, uh, uh, Dom, you, you kind of cut out there. Could you try that one? I did. Start with uh, oh, my bad. Jonathan Hicken, Hickman stuff. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, one person who's uh, caught my eye in the past year or so uh, is is a comic book creator, Jonathan Hickman. He's responsible for, at least for Marvel, for the Fantastic Four. He did an Avengers run uh, and recently just got on the X-Men franchise, which he said that he's wanted to do. And you can go as far back as 2007, where he's been in interviews talking about how much he, he loves the franchise and wanted to reboot it. Uh, and he, there's two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about his House of X, Powers of Ten series that he did that kickstarted off his X-Men run because there's a lot of sci-fi elements in that. And Manhattan Projects, I've only read the first couple of issues. I'm starting to get more of his image work, but it's 100% sci-fi. So in Manhattan Projects, uh, it's essentially a retelling of the Manhattan Projects and the atomic bomb, but it's the secret history behind it. And when I read Think Tank, this sort of reminisced in my mind because this, the, the Manhattan Projects is essentially full on, there is no breaks, there is full high concept, it's not grounded at all. Hickman's just going to lay it on you with this, the, these people and the secret history behind the atomic bomb so you'll have you'll have albert einstein in it uh joseph oppenheimer who was part of the manhattan project himself a uh, werner von braun who was a german scientist harrius truman's brought into it and it's essentially you know instead of uh the excuse to throw out uh that you know in actual history oh we're making the atomic bomb so we can end world war ii no the instead what the history is we're using this to cover up all of the everything else that's been happening behind the scenes. So you have the, the sort of like these weird dimensional rifts, these intergalactic empires that are somehow tied to the atomic bomb project. And Franklin Roosevelt, after he dies, there's an AI of him 
it's just it's just an insane comic book and Hicken really just loves to delve into that sort of weird high concept science fiction vibe and that's that's what I really love uh, about Manhattan projects and so far it's turning out to be a really really pleasant read um, yeah he's so. he's doing another one right now too decorum I believe decorum yep. it is it is yeah it's it sort of delves very that high same. concept that's oh, absolutely, huge yeah. high con- like I feel like I need a a degree in physics just to read that thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> he makes you, he makes you like realize like, Oh snap. Like, you know, I got to type this thing up. And he does the same thing with uh, his, his shield miniseries over uh, at Marvel right after, or during his fantastic four run where he brings in all of these Renaissance thinkers, like Isaac Newton somehow tied into the history of the Marvel universe. And this whole and he brings up this interesting theory, which also is, I think, is going to tie into his current X-Men stuff. It's the fact that man and machine are somehow inexplicably linked. And he delves into it, and he's trying to figure out, guess what? In the Marvel Universe, you can link up man and machine, and there's still going to be some sort of this transcendency, this ascendancy, that that these two are going to be linked, and that the future will be forever machine forever robot and however that that's brought in it's hickman is just really good with that whole science fiction concept and he just brings it out every and almost all the issues that he writes uh, uh whether it's world building or actual let's bring in isaac newton and make him canon to the marvel universe sort of sort of idea and that's why he's caught my eye in recent memory and it's something i appreciate from him yeah no he's uh he knows his stuff he knows his stuff. Um, what was I gonna say? There was um, there's this one manga that um, well, I watched the anime for it, but anime and the manga are almost the same most of the time, at least nowadays. But there was uh, this one science fiction that was really good. Uh, I'm gonna start reading was uh, Doctor Stone, where it's about this genius yes. kid in high school who got he went um, he won everybody winds up in the world gets turned to stone for three over oh, 3,800 years or something like that. And he, and everybody was like conscious for the first like bit of it, but he sat there and counted the entire time he was there. So he knew exactly what it was. And he eventually somehow broke free. And it's about him trying to rebuild civilization from the ground up with his knowledge of science. And I think it's just really interesting because it's that that whole concept I just think is really interesting with him just trying to rebuild everything as he knows all the scientific stuff from our modern times and he's trying to rebuild civilization from the ground up. Yeah. And that's a concept I don't think I've ever really seen in science fiction. You know, usually like you either see the post-apocalyptic or you see the apocalypse happening, but to see someone that's trying to rebuild that has a, like a memory of like the old way and like trying to fix it. Like, that's really cool. You know? And that's, I I have only seen a couple episodes of Dr. Stone, but yeah, it's really cool. I like it. It gets really good. (laughs) <laughs> it gets really good, especially like uh, I don't know because I I don't want to spoil stuff. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't spoil, but it gets yeah, really good. But it's <laughs> it gets really good. There's some things that are like mm, that seem weird to the story to me, but I I really like it. I need to start reading it because I watched the anime and I wanted to start reading it. There was a book that came out, I think either last year or the year before. Uh, and it was like Rust Off or World of Rust or something like that, where basically one day 
all metal in the world just dissipates. It just is gone. Like planes, like, you know, it disintegrates. It Thanos is basically, you know, out of existence. And so it's like the people trying to rebuild the world with stones and wood. You know what I'm saying? Because all microchips are gone. You know what I'm saying? All that stuff is all gone. They can't use any kind of technology. You know, how do you get electricity, you know, and stuff like that. And I read, I think it was a free comic book day issues, what I read. So it was like a real quick sh- sh- uh, story, but it was a really kind of cool post-apocalyptic kind of style. Cause then, then you don't have like, you, don't, you can't have guns, you know what I'm saying? You have to go back to bows and arrows and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. That is really, that is really cool. Actually, you said that was, what was that called again? Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Uh, you know, let me look it up right now so I don't mess that up. Uh, uh, oh, it's Red Five Rust. Let's try that. Or was it Big Red? Red Five Comics, The Dark Age. Is that what it is? Ah, damn it. I have no fi- no idea. Hold on. <laughs> uh, oh, here we go. Future, the near future of... Oh, yeah, so it's called The Dark Age. The Dark Age by Don Hanfield. Art by Leonardo Rodrige- Rodriguez. <clears throat> Written by Don Hanfield, art by Leonardo Rodriguez, but published by Red Five Comics, who also used to do Atomic Robo back in the day, but then I believe that went over to IDW now. But that's a really fun one. Um, yeah. So I thought a really cool way to kind of uh, move, talk, like we've been talking about books and stuff, but I thought I would look up some really weird kind of science facts that'll blow your mind i found this website called how it works and they did a little listicle of 15 amazing science facts so here's one of them babies have a hundred more bones than adults babies have 300 bones while normal humans have around 206 interesting so which is if you think about too to make a baby you have to bone so it kind of all ties in there. Together. <laughs> uh, the Eiffel Tower during the summer uh, sometimes gets 15 centimeters taller. And it has to do with like the expansion through like the heat and, and the type of uh, metal that it's made out of and stuff. Uh, 20% of Earth's oxygen is produced by the Amazon rainforest. So kind of important that we cut it all down, you know, maybe burn half of it. Just about yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some metals are so reactive that they explode on contact with water. Whoa. Um, potassium, sodium, lithium, rubidinium, rubidinium. Oh man, I'm definitely not saying that right. And and casium. Uh, they they re- when they oxidize they explode. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, and here's a here's another one that I thought is a uh, really interesting. The Earth is a giant magnet. The inner core is actually solid iron. 
surrounded by liquid iron. So it's literally, we're literally a giant magnet. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yep, that is true. I, South Pole, all that. Yeah. That's um, why we have poles. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, usually when I think of poles, I think of pole dancers. But yeah, there's also magnetic poles, oh my I gosh. guess, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, there's also polar bears. How, does that count? They're at the well, North Pole or at the South Pole. Where are polar no, they're, bears? They're, the, they're in the North Pole. They are North Pole? They're near okay. Santa, yeah. The yeah, penguins are the South Pole. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, South Pole, it's got penguins, and I think Morgan Freeman lives out there, too. Somewhere <laughs> yeah, like that, of yeah. Of course, who else is going to narrate all the penguins moving around themselves? You go to Antarctica, it's just um, March of the Penguins Live. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's their main tourist attraction. Do people actually like? I know, like, there's scientific expeditions, but can you actually like visit Antarctica? No, no, I don't think so. pretty sure it's close to the general. And, I, and we don't have ships that go down south all the way over there, anyways. That would be make that would make for a fun science fiction adventure, though. Like, just like have Antarctica just take over, like penguins take over the world, and then have some random rider like bring all these or whatever in. And then we can have our own fun science fiction adventure there. I think that'd be cool. Okay, hold on. Hold on. So how are the penguins taking over, though? That's the question. Are they... <laughs> they're actually... They, you, they're melt, they are the ones melting the, all the ice caps. <laughs> it's not exactly, yeah. It's the penguins. <laughs> it's the penguins. It's the penguins. And then our, our world would just be Club Penguin, yeah. That would be Club Club Penguin, the game, the real life, because they're upset that Club Penguin got shut down. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the movie, bro. Yes. Yes. In a world, Club Penguin. <laughs> this <is> summer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Tyler, where, uh, where are we at right now as far as uh, time? Oh, beautiful. Okay. I think, uh, so I think we'll, we'll end it right now then. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good place to stop. If any, um, I'd like to thank my guests, Kamenik Torres for coming on and filling in for Gina. Gina had a bunch of stuff going on right now because all the COVID stuff. So she wasn't able to make it, but she is here in spirit rooting us on. Um, I don't know. Comedic, did you have fun? I definitely did have fun, and I'd like to be invited to the show more often. It's just fun talking about all of the stuff that you love, and because science fiction is really near and dear to my heart, it's just it's just awesome to talk about it and talk about what makes it awesome. And Think Tank was really fun, so thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, you're you're always a delight to talk to. So it was it was a no brainer inviting you on here. Um, Watson, you have anything to say to podcast land? Um, you know, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I always enjoy hanging out, talking about stuff. You know, especially if it's new stuff to me, I always like enjoying talking about stuff and having people to be able to talk about it and always learning new stuff. So it's always fun. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And I think we are going to actually be doing some uh, Japanese style stuff for the next podcast. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to um, spoil it for our, our listeners here, but we might be reading a couple mangas. So tune in next time for pros and comms. Boom. Oh, uh, should I do a 